Hello, I'm Jay Ackerman, CEO of Revelier, a software company committed to providing health plans with innovative technologies to maximize their return from quality, risk adjustment, and compliance initiatives. We're back again with yet another installment of the Value-Based Healthcare Podcast, where we engage with thought leaders and visionaries working across the healthcare ecosystem. Through our podcast, we aim to widen the visibility and voice of people working to change how healthcare is provided and the impact it has on all those who participate in the care delivery chain. Let's get started. Hey, Patrick, let's begin with a few questions regarding your career journey. So why don't you first talk to us about how you found your way into healthcare? Yeah, so in high school and college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Actually, I uh, was president of our student union in college, and then that got me interested in sort of management. And so after college, I was going to do uh, McKinsey Consulting, Peace Corps, Teach for America, sort of an odd three choices, but uh, went and worked for McKinsey Consulting and Healthcare. Spent a couple of years there as an analyst and then an associate, and then um, really wanted to go back to medical school. So I went back to medical school and have been in healthcare ever since, always sort of working on the interface of how do we deliver better quality and better experience at lower cost for patients and populations of people. And so how about what's the current chapter that you're writing for yourself in the area of healthcare? What are you focused on? Yeah, so Blue Cross North Carolina, we were really focused on being a health plan that delivered better quality, better experience, and lower costs, and really being a model of transformation. So that had been my focus for the last few years. And then now sort of doing some work and in investing in healthcare and really starting to contemplate what comes next for me. And I bet in, in that role of looking across the healthcare kind of um, ecosystem for investments, you're seeing probably a lot of innovation. Anything you want to uh, kind of highlight and kind of how fast you think that market's moving? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the models in advanced primary care are really exciting where you have different organizations taking on risk and really driving change in care. I think in the data and technology space, I think a lot of interesting companies and healthcare data and technology. You know, the last area where I think we need more investment, you're seeing some, but I think we could see hopefully significant increase is in the mental and behavioral health space. I think, um, you know, I think increasingly it's recognized that our sort of system for mental and behavioral health care delivery is fundamentally broken. So I'm hopeful you'll see more players enter that space on really delivering effective and efficient, high-quality mental and behavioral health care. Yeah, so that's probably a perfect lead into the next question, which is um, really interested in your thoughts on industry trends that you see as beneficial to healthcare organizations. Yeah, I think the trend that's particularly beneficial to healthcare organizations is I think the sort of value-based payment trend, which you know I've been in and out of government a few times. I've worked and Republican and Democratic administrations in government the last time running the CMS Innovation Center and then acting administrator of the agency for Medicare and Medicaid. And I think at the public payers across administrations, you're seeing this trend towards value-based payment that just continues to increase. And then I think private payers similarly are driving towards value-based payment. And I'd say real value-based payment in partnerships now. You know, at Blue Cross North Carolina, we got we're over 50% of our payments were in advanced alternative payment models, with including two-sided risk with health systems and doctors. And so I think the opportunity there is for organizations to deliver on that value. So you're, you're now, you know, really past the tipping point, if you will, of moving away from fee-for-service volume-based payment and really wo- rewarding those providers, those companies, those organizations that deliver on value-based payment you know, better quality at a lower cost. And I think that's a, that's a huge opportunity for innovation and for companies in the space. 
And so, you know, you just mentioned at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, that you have 50% in alternative payment models. Any thoughts on, kind of, we look out over the next couple of years, how rapidly you see that continuing to move across the entire industry? Yeah, I think you'll see other payers uh, reach that level. I think, you know, all the big national payers and sort of regional blue players in, increasingly are announcing goals and sort of moving in that direction. So, you know, I think if you look at like the healthcare payment and learning and action network, which I, I started a number of years ago now, you've got heading towards 50% of payments that are value-based, but then they just recently announced an additional goal to get over 50% of those payments in significant value-based arrangements, like I described for Blue Cross North Carolina. So I think you're going to see across public and private payers within you know the next two to three years that people start getting the majority of their payments in these advanced value-based payment models. What do you see as the greatest barriers or challenges that affect patient improvement uh, in today's environment? Yeah, it's, it's culture and the complexity, I think. So, you know, what I mean by that is you're turning a multi-trillion dollar industry that historically has been oriented around volume and, and fee-for-service, and you're, it's yeah, like turning a gigantic ship, right, towards value. So that's challenge one is sort of cultural, if you will, and historical. I think challenge number two is, is what I call the gap issue. So even if, let's say, a large healthcare system says, yeah, that's where we want to go, they often, uh, and they'll use the analogy of a foot in both boats, as they go through the transition period, it's, you know, how do we maintain enough volume, if you will, when where we have fee-for-service reimbursement while we move to more full value-based arrangements, and how do we navigate that gap, if you will? And I think payers can help with that. Yeah, the last challenge going to the, the patient side of this, which you named, is I think we've really, we have not yet fully captured like what does full patient consumer engagement look like? What is the set of tools that people will need to drive change in the system? You know, I think you're starting to see, for example, more both public and private payers pushing on transparency and sort of consumer engagement tools. But I think uh, we're at the real early stages of, you know, what's real consumer engagement look like? And then, you know, if we achieve that, what does that do to the quality and the cost of care? What do you think is required or, you know, necessary to kind of really accelerate that level of consumer engagement? Yeah, I think it's a few things. I think, one, we're getting to a place now where the data and technology is more advanced, where they can really have the, the information at the point of decision, which I think historically has been a challenge. I think, two, you're seeing more, more organizations use what I'll call more sophisticated engagement tools, certainly behavioral economics, financial incentives, but also sort of a broader suite of sort of incentives and engagement tools. You know, I think the, I think the other sort of overarching factor you're seeing here is I think, you know, there was a thought if you move people to sort of high deductible health plans, they'll just, you know, make wise decisions because they'll have so-called skin in the game. I think we're seeing that, you know, those could have had some effects, but they probably increase and decrease both high and low value care. It's a pretty blunt tool. And so now I think you're seeing employers and, and healthcare payers saying, you know, what's the next generation of sort of tools we would put around this? So we don't just put skinning in the game for the consumer. We actually enable them to make better and higher value decisions. So it may be a good lead in. So, to, you know, kind of we look forward from today. How do you think we should uh, plan to address some of these barriers and challenges that are facing, that are facing patients in this, in this market um, and also facing payers as they're transitioning <laughs> to this value-based care model? Yeah. So on the patient side, 
I think it goes back to sort of the digital tools that they need to to navigate care. I also think how do we put those together into what I call a seamless care journey? So I think you often have sort of niche solutions, if you will, that you know help a consumer with you know decision X or decision Y. But the reality of people, you know, their individuals, their families trying to navigate healthcare along with everything else in their life. So how do we really sort of put together an ecosystem, if you will, that allows them to navigate the healthcare system that's virtual, that's also, you know, in-person care navigators, et cetera. You know, on the payer side, you know, I think we're payers have an opportunity is really and testing and learning what what really works in this space. You know, if you look across sort of patient and person navigation tools, I think a fair number sort of in the market, but I'd say less clear which interventions are really driving the highest value for the payer and for the patient. And so I think for payers, it's really how do you test that next generation of tools and, and technologies, and then how do you deploy them at scale? Do you think the time frame kind of required to test and roll out has shortened with more of the cloud-based products kind of being sold straight to business owners and kind of with yeah. uh, IT being less of a gatekeeper? I do. I think with more of the cloud-based products, you know, payers testing in more of a cloud-based app environment, sort of real-time development, including consumer-centered design. I think you're seeing a lot of trends sort of converge, if you will, where I think your pace of change and your cycle time for change is getting shorter and shorter. How do you think that uh, is causing the kind of internal orgs inside of a payer to work together? Yeah, it's challenging. So, I mean, you know, I had to lead a legacy payer. I think, and this, I think this is true across payers. I think it's, you know, you've got a, a legacy IT environment at the same time. You're trying to develop the sort of next generation of, of tools and analytics. We made major investments in data and analytics at Blue Cross North Carolina. I think, you know, those were starting to show benefit, but more needed. You know, I think in the IT space, things like Innovation Garage and other things were sort of innovating both in the cloud environment and the app environment and with AI and other advanced sort of analytic tools. Yeah, I think your traditional payer is going to have to do more and more of that type of development work while maintaining, because they all have it, you know, a, a legacy claims-based system that has to function and function well. I imagine now you're spending a lot of time, you know, talking to kind of lots of, a lot of companies trying to innovate in healthcare, but also talking to healthcare executives across a wide variety of organizations. So in those conversations, what advice might you have for healthcare executives in navigating the industry, you know, at this point in time? Yeah, say a couple of things. One is relentless focus on the customer, the end user, the patient. We sometimes struggle with that in healthcare. And, you know, I think if you focus on that customer, that patient, that consumer, and sort of what are the, the set of services that person, that family needs, I think, you know, that will generate the value in the long term. Blue Cross North Carolina, I used to talk about when I, my first day, we focus on our, our people and our customer. There's lots of other complexity we could think about in life, but if you, if you get those two things right, yeah. the only companies that are successful. You know, I think the other thing is uh, there's just, there is this pace issue, so, which is challenging to navigate. But, it, you know, when you travel around America or a state like North Carolina, you hear from people, you know, healthcare is too costly. And the quality and experience are uneven. So I've been a person for a long time that's pushed for more rapid change and 
you know, I think as a healthcare system, we need to do that. And I think the, the legacy players are either going to have to innovate and deliver on that or be disrupted and displaced by, you know, new entrants and people that, because what you hear from employers, from individuals and families is they can't tolerate the cost of care and the cost of care increases, especially given the quality and experience is uneven. And so just like other industries, we've got to make the quality and experience much better while we lower the cost of care which healthcare, frankly, has historically uh, failed in doing so. So how do we do that and how do we do it quicker? Why do you think that's been a struggle for healthcare? And, you know, like, like the two points you just called yeah. out, focusing on customer and kind of pace of change, right, are, are challenges that all industries are facing. And, the, and those companies who, who address it yeah. well, right, and create the models internally to do that will shine. And those who don't, you know, kind of find themselves in the scrap heap. But within healthcare, what do you think is... Yeah at the heart of the struggle? Yeah, I'd say there's, there's probably a host of issues, but I'll name two. One is the finance system, system historically was sort of often separated from the real end user. So just with employer-based insurance and the way it functioned, you had this issue that you know actual individuals and families historically did not see the costs as much hitting their pocketbook. I would say that's changing and changing rapidly. And then I think for employers, yes, it was a growing cost center, but they sort of tolerated it. And I think that's changing as well. So I think you have sort of a financing issue where I don't think you had as much of a burning platform in this industry as you did in some others. And part of it probably is even related to, you know, healthcare. So personal, you always worry about, well, if I do a cost cutting, uh, if I have some cost cutting issue that literally damages people's health or prevents somebody from getting the cancer treatment they need, there's like a natural sort of cultural concern uh, in this area. Yeah, I think the other issue is the financing mechanism historically, it just wasn't value-based. You know, if you think about cars, computers, other things, you know, you pay a given, there's a quality and a price and you know it, it's transparent and it's value-based decisions. You know, healthcare, you often didn't know the quality or the price or the cost. I mean, even if you did know some of that information, it was more of a fee-for-service, you know, volume system. You know, obviously, if we bought cars, computers, or other things in that way, I don't think we would have seen the changes that we saw in those industries. So I think as, as healthcare moves to a more value-based payment system, I think you'll see increasing changes in the, in the healthcare sector. Yeah, pretty hard to imagine picking up a car, driving it off the lot, and then getting your bill 30 days later and kind of hoping it lined up with yeah. your expectations. Yeah, for 48 different parts and... 16 yeah. different copays and a month later, another bill. I mean, like nobody would tolerate that, right? Like a uh, TV, a car, like name your product. Like that would be like, well, that's ridiculous. Yet in healthcare, you know, we get 29 EOBs and 16 different payments. And at the end, you're still like, wait, did this all add up and what did I buy? So yeah, exactly. All right. Well, probably good, um, good transition to this question. And um, I think it's a good one to you since uh, you, you had spent time there yourself. So what regulatory changes would you like to see from CMS that would most beneficially impact the member? Yeah, I'd call it a couple, which I think CMS is doing, but it's, you know, how do you turn the next level of the crank? So, you know, on this value-based payment and now really shifting to advanced value-based payment models through the CMS Innovation Center, which I used to lead and CMS broadly, I think, you know, you've now got 90% of payments tied to quality in some way. So terrific. But now it's like, how do you make it not 1% or 2% or 3% sort of an incentive on the margin? You know, how do you make it a significant incentive where you really drive change? And I think that's starting to happen 
for example, an accountable care organization program, pushing people to higher levels of risk. So that's on the value-based payment arena. Two, I call it the data and transparency, which this administration and the last administration have pushed hard on data and transparency and get data out into the ecosystem and get transparency into quality and cost and price. You know, we continue to push on those and double down there. You know, the last area I'd note that doesn't always get a lot of recognition, but actually in the last administration and the current administration, there's been focus on reducing regulatory burdens. So how do you simplify regulations? How do you remove red tape? How do you really allow people and entities to deliver care uh, without sort of limiting them through over-regulation? And I think that focus as well is, is appropriate and needs to continue. Do you see us moving um, in a better place on that front, or do you think we've been, over the last couple of years, making it more challenging? Yeah, it's always hard. I mean, the natural tendency is for regulations to pile up. I mean, that's like how regulations work. But I think, in the, I think there is a recognition increasingly that that regulation in healthcare is limiting our innovation. And so I think you're seeing sort of a more work to do. I don't want to like overplay this, but I think you're seeing an increasing realization that if we move regulatory burdens, if we remove red tape, I think the current name, it's gone under different names. I think they talk about patients over paperwork right now. That actually does enable people to really focus on patient care. You know, I'm still a practicing physician. It is true <laughs> that I spend a lot of time documenting as opposed to just patient care. And so you know, I think we've got the the sort of balance there not quite right. You know, how do we really allow people less time for, you know, documentation and things that are not necessarily adding value to patient care and more time for sort of direct patient care, care coordination, you know, investing in better health. Patrick, since you mentioned that point, you know, I've heard that for many doctors, they might spend twice the amount of time documenting that they spend providing care to patients. Yep. What's that look like for you when you're in there practicing? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think that's about right for my personal practice. And I'd say, yeah, I've seen some of those same studies. You know, if I had to guess what the right percentage is, I would guess it's the opposite or more so, you know, 80% on patient care and sort of 20% on documentation, which would be four to one the other way. So I think we've just, we've got the paradigm out of whack, if you will. So we talked about healthcare executives and advice for them and then CMS. So let's, um, about it, uh, recommendations you'd have for the public regarding their own empowerment and ownership of their health and well-being. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think for the public, I mean, a lot of healthcare costs are, whether you call them social determinants or drivers of health, which is both for individuals and for us as a society, you know, how do we address things like eating habits, exercise, transportation, housing, all these things. And I think there's a societal role there to invest in driver's health, including payers, et cetera. But I also think there's a personal role, especially for them, these behaviors, uh, whether it's smoking, diet, exercise. We know these are the major contributors, actually, to healthcare outcomes and costs. So, you know, I think the public has a, has a large role there. You know, I think the other role that the public has is really embracing this change to value-based payments. So you know, all the tools in the world only matter if consumers, patients, people are willing to use them and really focus on themselves and how they get the best value out of the care delivery system. So in, in your days as a practicing physician, do you see patients coming in more informed and with kind of greater understanding and ownership and using the tools that are out there? 
Yeah, I think it's increasing, but I also think it's still not where we need to be. So yeah, increasing, but I don't think at the level we need. Yeah, still way off from where it should be. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Patrick, this has been a great discussion. Um, We're going to start to kind of bring it towards the finish line with kind of five rapid fire questions. So first off, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, so it's been the same for a while. You know, I've had the opportunity to lead large systems on the provider side and government and on the private payer side for a while. And it's that somebody's fallen through the cracks. So whether it's Blue Cross North Carolina with 4 million people or, you know, CMS with 130 million people, you know, every night going to bed more often than I'd like to admit, I think about, you know, there's somebody today that, that fell through the cracks, meaning they either, they had some horrible health event and we didn't catch it or fell through financially you know, a bankruptcy or death from a health event. I mean, literally, that's the stakes in healthcare, right? And when you run a large organization, you know that there's somebody who fell through the cracks that day because that's the nature of large organization. And so how do you minimize and try to eliminate that? So you're caring for everybody like you would your mother, your brother, you know, your family member. And that's the, the language I used at CMS and it's the language I used at Blue Cross North Carolina and it's the language I'll use with whatever comes next. You know, at the end of the day, you want your care system that you're responsible for to function in a way that you'd be willing to send your own mother through that care system. Yeah, well, that's pretty weighty. But if, you, if you're carrying that every day, <laughs> you're clearly trying to make a big impact in the world. So yeah. in those nights when um, that's, that's uh, weighing heavily what, uh, and, and you're having trouble going to sleep, what, what book might you grab from your nightstand and why are you reading it? Yeah, first for better or worse, I fall asleep in like a second every night, which probably means I'm not getting enough sleep. But I'm I'm trying uh, for lots of reasons, trying to do better on that. I'm actually reading a book right now called Broken Open. Just started it. We could also talk about books that I've recently finished. But Broken Open is about when you go through challenges in life that can either break you down or it can break you open, if you will, to like what the next iteration is. The other book I just I read a little while back that that was quite good is The Road to Character by David Brooks had some similar themes, interestingly, about two mountain life. You sort of climb your first mountain, which often is around achievement, money, you know, et cetera. Often people have a valley in life. And then you have your second mountain that is really, you know, what is most meaningful to me? What is it that I, I work on in the, the second chapter of your life, if you will, that is most meaningful to you? And so those are the two of the books I've been reading recently. Two good ones to add to my reading list. What is one yeah. thing that few people know about you? I've done stand-up comedy in my past, and I've <laughs> traveled to over 80 countries. <laughs> is I that, used to uh, be more interesting than I am any now. Any chance we still may find you out on stage? No, not at all. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, I used to be more interesting than I am now. That chapter's done, huh? You, you hit the comedy valley and decided not to climb the next comedy valley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. What's uh, what's favorite app on your mobile device? <laughs> this one is not that exciting. It's, it's Uber and Lyft. I'm a big fan of Uber and Lyft, which I know isn't as exciting as probably a lot of apps that people use. All right. Well, then here's the follow-up. So which one gets open first? Yeah, I know Lyft is supposed to be cooler. I still use Uber more than Lyft. In my area, it's still cheaper most of the time. I know that probably varies too. I use them both. I, I actually will price check each one sometimes. That's just, I grew up with not a lot of money, which made me very cheap. And it's still part of who I am to this day. I wear Joseph A. Banks suits. <laughs> so, you 
Yeah, well, yeah, no, I'm the same. So my go-to, I suppose, <laughs> but um, I do find myself price checking, yeah. particularly on well-defined yeah. notes. All right, last yeah. one. How do you invest in yourself? Yeah, the biggest change I've made recently is what I'd call self-care. So um, tried to be focused on family and career for a long time, but got away from things like meditation, exercise, time for self-care and reflection. I mean, I've been making those investments recently, and I think they'll pay long-term dividends. Yeah, fantastic. It's easy for your own needs to get put to the backseat when you're uh, yep. when you got a big company and, you know, kind of driving, you know, fairly ambitious goals. So I get it. As my team knows, I've been actually looking at my own calendar, trying to slot in a bunch of personal well-being days between now and year-end, just so I can take care Good. of some personal health, but also a little bit of emotional kind of um, recharging. That's great. It's a good thing to do. Patrick, thanks again for your time and your openness. This has been great. This brings our value-based healthcare podcast to a close. Thank you for joining us today. Listen to more episodes at Revelier.com or find us through your favorite podcast platform. For episode updates, follow Revelier on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook.